The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are another week closer to the trade deadline. In fact, uh, we are two, two weeks away. Oh, two weeks away. I was going to say, isn't it next week? But okay. It is the 21st. That's and right. yes, I will probably be <clears throat> sick that day and not yeah, be able to do my day job. Yeah, I'm suddenly starting to feel like unwell. I think that I'm going to need a recuperation day. Yeah, weird. It's just weird how that happens a couple of times a year. You can sort of feel it a couple of weeks out. Normally, oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you get sick and you only know when you wake up that morning. And sometimes it, there's there's some time coming. Now, rumor has it you can't plan illnesses. but <laughs> Well, you can plan when you're going to attempt to recover from them. Yes. Agreed. Now, we have a really, really interesting show covering college a, hockey. A wide uh, Women's college hockey. Yeah. The, PW, uh, the PHF. Sledge hockey. Um, AHL, NHL. Um, we're covering everything from reactions to the situation in Europe to games played and milestones, uh, player appreciation, and, of course, the antics of one or more front offices and uh, and or ownership groups. Where do we want to jump in this week? Uh, do we start with current events just to get them out of the way or shall I we leave? It's not I'm much okay of a story. That. It's not much of a story, but it's a story. Um, so you want to jump in with Eugene Melnick? Uh, they let him out of the closet. Um, after 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 the last time that he made a splash, it wasn't for the good of his team or the NHL or himself. He or kind he of large, but yeah, kind um, of went off the rails. So they somehow managed to, and and I don't know if it's duct tape or or whatever, but somehow managed to he's managed to keep himself busy doing something else. And now he's speaking out again because of what's going on in in Europe, which I didn't realize that he was Ukrainian. So I think it was mentioned once or twice in the distant past. But um, with Eugene Melnick, there's so many more interesting things to remember than where his grandparents or great grandparents were born. Um, <laughs> True. So Melnick releases the statement via the senator's Twitter account. Um, amazingly enough, not his Twitter account. Um, he mentions he's a proud Canadian. He's also the son of Ukrainian immigrant parents. Um, today we're all today we are all Ukrainian. The unprovoked assault and ensuing carnage is how the second paragraph continues. And while we have on the one hand the Washington Capitals reiterating their stance that no flags or political messages can be um, displayed in their arena. Eugene Melnick, in full Melnick mode, um, decides that the Ukrainian national anthem will be played uh, before every home game, uh, as well as the Canadian and U.S. anthems uh, for the remainder of the 2021 season. Um, he also, uh, further going further, the 50-50 the, the raffle, 
Um, we'll be benefiting uh, organizations providing humanitarian and medical assistance uh, to the Ukraine. Um, and there's a couple of other there's a couple of other um, charity and goodwill acts built into this. Well, I am not a huge fan of bringing uh the political world and yes i understand that an invasion a war whatever you terms you want to use are more than just politics as usual into the realm of sports or entertainment in general using the eugene melnick lens which is a different lens than we might use for an owner or ownership group that was um less prone to acts of outrageous behavior, I guess is the most polite way to do it. Um, I, I, this is actually a really, really good thing. Um, I agree. Just the support for the support for where his extended family is um, and the community in, in and around Ottawa uh, unabashed good. I, but I, again, I'm. I think that it's his team, his arena. But I think that adding the Ukrainian yeah. anthem is a step too far. I think that something like that should be, if done at all, needs to be a league thing, not a team thing. I understand. I, I understand where he's coming from because he's Ukrainian. I get it, or of Ukrainian descent. I get it. I'm not saying that he's doing bad. I mean, what he wants to do and, and raising money to help the foundations. Uh, uh, you know, he's the director of Help Us Help the Children. He he's doing good things, and what he wants to do in this statement, it, it sounds really good. But I think the anthem bit either needs to be across the NHL or not at all. See, yeah, uh, well, we, I would we don't sing. They don't sing everybody's anthems. I mean, the 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 NHL is an international mishmash of of nationalities. And yes, you're not playing everybody's anthem at the See, beginning of each game. You're only doing Canadian and American. And there are other conflicts, as always, going on in the in the world. If you're going to choose to honor a conflict, um, you know, there's a really interesting war going on in Ethiopia and Eteria. Mm -hmm. uh, there's always there. South America has a couple of messy situations going on. Um, we could talk about Syria endlessly. There's. There's dozens of other there's at least a dozen other places where ugly stuff is happening, probably not on the scale of what's going on in the Ukraine right now. But see, I'm on the other side. I think that this in order to look sincere or be sincere, this has to be individually. It has to be individual teams and or owners um, deciding on it. Otherwise, it just looks like. I dislike the optics even more than top down. You're everyone's going to do this things. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's just my reaction to authority. Who knows? I mean, the league hasn't. Uh, there, there are some sports leagues around the world that are banning or 
in some way negatively affecting Russian players within their league. Uh, the the owner of Chelsea Football Club is Russian, and that's a soccer team in England. But before you sit there and go Chelsea, <laughs> the owner Roman Abramovich is Russian, and he's he had originally he stepped down he stepped aside, handed day to day control over to the 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 the, the Chelsea Trust Foundation Foundation and Trust. And now he's selling the team because he's being almost forced to by the league. It, it's it, it, so there are some the NHL hasn't, as far as I know, announced or taken any negative reaction toward its players, which you know, I think is the proper thing to do. Exactly. There's only about a dozen Russian players in the entire NHL. Um, only a dozen. There's less than two dozen. Uh, last time I checked, okay. uh, they tend to be high profile. I mean, it doesn't get much higher profile than than Alex Ovechkin. Um, but there's really not very many Russians given the rise of the KHL. Okay, I just I, yeah. I agree with you. I just don't. As far as all the good that Melnick has done, you know, that he wants to do and that he's proposing and what he's what they're going to. I just think that. If it's going to be something, it's got to be, I don't know, if having him do it is a is a good thing, but. Could he petition the league to get the league to do it? Because it's not like they celebrate, as I said, it's not like they celebrate all the anthems for every player's nationality. Forty-five Russian skaters have uh, taken the ice uh, this season, so slightly more than I was thinking. But um, still, that's, that's less than ten percent. Oh well, less, under, or I less mean, than one percent, or I mean, average year it's seven or eight hundred skaters who take uh, the ice in an NHL season. Um, we can probably guess that there's another eight goalies uh, just off the top of my head, and I think that number is probably higher. Uh, or probably high. 951 skaters have played at least one game this year. So that's... Uh, you got 45, 45 Russians have skated, so that's like half yes. of 1%. Uh, point, that's like 5%? Yeah. Um, no, but I'm it is not, a good thing. So Melnick coming, Melnick coming out to make a statement this time around, it wasn't because he was out of his... Um, it wasn't, yeah, this is actually a good thing. Um, but as always, I prefer we limit the intrusion of the real world into entertainment. Um, while we're talking about intrusions and things going where they probably shouldn't, Mm -hmm. John Cooper was ejected, uh, from the lightning game the other night. Uh, what's interesting to me and at least to Cooper, at least according to what Cooper's statement was after the game. It's a good thing we're recording this because I want to hear you defend John Cooper. Uh, the fact that I have to defend John Cooper says gotcha. more about the league's officiating than it does John Cooper. Okay. Because John Cooper is one of the most permanently aggrieved head coaches in the entire uh, in the entire league. 
Wait, wait, wait. Aggrieved? Permanently aggrieved. He looks like permanently. He looks like something is always wrong with everything that's happening on the ice if it's not the lightning scoring. Have you seen the Tampa Bay Lightning? He doesn't have to do anything but stand behind the bench and say, okay, you go. Okay, you go. Change it up. What does he have to do on a team that has Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Andre Palat, Vasilevsky and Net, Victor Hedman on defense, Michael Sergachev? What is he doing exactly behind the bench that he should be aggrieved? I look. I don't. I don't know. Um, I don't. But he he always looks like every penalty against a Lightning player is the worst thing that's ever happened. Okay. Anything that's missed by the officials that might possibly be a penalty impact, uh, by the other team is the worst deviation from organization and order uh, in general ever to be contemplated, much less actually take place. So for him, wow. like he was – he's standing on the bench – and not looking any more wound up than usual. No, he got that puzzled look on his face like, uh, Macaulay, I don't know what's going on. Wes McCauley is probably 20 feet from him. Okay. And Wes McCauley just points to the exit. Bye-bye. John Cooper, after the game, didn't know why he was ejected. Did they not explain to him, you're gone because... Because, because you have RHF resting hockey face. I don't know. I I have literally no idea. And <laughs> the article is the article is titled "Watch Lightning Coach John Cooper Gets Historic Ejection." That's correct because Apparently it's the it's first his- time since November of 2018. Oh, that's Peter DeBoer. I remember that. You would think that with some of the more animated coaches. Um, Peter DeBoer is – he can be at times. I mean he's not the first name that comes to mind when I think of animated. I mean you'd think that Bruce Boudreau would get ejected at least twice a season. Um, how did how did Patrick Juan not get ejected? Wait a minute. <laughs> Admittedly, he had. I think. I think Patrick Guar coached before that season. Oh, he was okay. not a coach for very long. No, he wasn't. I just all I remember is him literally bending glass trying to get around it so he could get at the other team. Uh, that but, was hilarious and clear, almost certainly pre-planned. Okay. Uh, uh, Tortorella never ejected. Tortorella. See, Tortorella is acidic at almost every moment, mm-hmm. but he doesn't – he re- very rarely crosses the line into vulgar or uh, Actually, yeah, behind, insulting. Well, behind the bench, yeah, I get it. it that's what I'm, and, that, and that leads me to where I'm thinking. I'm thinking that Cooper either – Cooper either said something or Wes McCall – uh, thought he heard so- there had to have been something directed at him that uh, would bring upon that that kind of reaction because just to throw him out of the game for 
arguing balls and strikes or goals and no goals or whatever. It's not something that's, and unfortunately balls and strikes actually get you thrown out of a baseball game, but he, he wasn't, it didn't, from what I've seen, he, he wasn't any he more than usual as yeah, far as. He didn't look any different. Right. I identify any words so, that he said that would. So Wes, Wes must have either heard something or thought Cooper said something or maybe Cooper did say something and we're never going to know what it was, but. Or maybe it's just one of those things where the league has decided to emphasize something and John Cooper gets to be the first victim. I mean, they do it. They do it uh, to players all the time. I'm trying to feel bad for John Cooper. It's not working. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that this is going to completely ruin his life. Yeah. Well, He's got a couple of Stanley Cups he can lean on while he's yeah feeling he, bad for himself. He can dry his eyes with a couple of Stanley Cup rings, and <laughs> it, it, it is shocking that we actually have to sit here and somewhat defend John Cooper, though. You I know what else you... is shocking? No, you're gonna have to tell me though. Um, there's a player who is a point per game this season. Yeah. Well, I have literally not heard their name on any national broadcast. Barely mentioned the players barely mentioned when you watch their games. Um and yet he's still one of the most skilled players around uh and a young player the type that I don't know maybe the league should be leaning on to try and attract and pull in young fans who are going to be with the league for 10 or 20 years player who's a point per game and 19 31 for 50 and 50 wow plus two 16 penalty minutes not hugely reliant on the power play because only three power play goals um six count them six game winning goals uh, 13.7 shooting percentage. I am, of course, speaking that's, of Jesper Bratt. Now, that's not the name that I was expecting. And you're right. Nobody talks about it, it, during During an actual Devils game, if you watch one, they talk about him. But sometimes out, outside of that, uh, yeah, not so much. And obviously he's leading that not especially stellar team in points. Um, Jack Hughes is a great young player with 39 points in 35 games. There's lots of reasons to talk about him. Okay. Nico Heischer, 37 points, 49 games. He's trending upwards a little bit later than was originally hoped for him. Um, David Severson, uh, there's there's stuff there, but yes, PK Subban, PK Subban is a huge personality. It's really, 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 really difficult to ignore him. Um, you've got uh, you've got a never-ending progression of players in goal ten in goal. You've had Nico Dawes, Jonathan Bernier. Mackenzie Blackwood, John Gillies, among others, uh, <laughs> sharing the net minding duties. But 
where's where's the bigger person? I mean, where's where's the star potential that is going to wow you and make you and that should make you forget this guy? It's not Dougie Hamilton. Yes, he's having a good year. Twenty three points with eight goals uh, in thirty five games. It's well, not Jimmy you, Vesey. You, well, you paid got, a you paid a good bit of money for uh, uh, for both for, of those big names for the Dougie. So Jimmy Vesey has all of thirteen points in fifty one games. With remember back in the day when he fought his um, to be he wanted to be a he, he thought he was bigger than the league and wanted to be a free agent coming out of Harvard because. He stayed and and that negated his and there was a big deal about signing him and who was going to get him and and where is Jimmy BC gone? Um, New Jersey. There you go. And he is like 18th in score, well, 15th or so in scoring <laughs> on the team. Okay. Uh, that seems to be not very productive. Yes. That seems to be the the result of most of his career, unfortunately, since he went through that whole big rigmarole. role. Fifth team since coming into the league. He came in with the Rangers, went to Buffalo, went to Toronto, went to Vancouver, and started the year with New Jersey. Where is he going to go next? Um, I'm guessing the KHL is out for a couple of years. Swedish Hockey League, League, perhaps? No, I'm thinking. I don't know, James. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there are 56 players in the NHL that are point per game players. Out of how many did you say? Nine hundred and fifty. Nine hundred and fifty-one skaters have taken the ice this season in the NHL. Well, 56 of those players are point per game players. So I didn't do any narrowing down because, yeah, there are guys like Lucas Johansson that's played in one game and scored and got an assist. So point per game. Podorowski, two games played. He's got two assists. There you go. I guess if you're looking, if I had time to adjust the list for number of games played, it would depend on how many you want to do, 50 or whatever. We'll just go with 25 games played. Um, So – Points per game of one or greater. Uh, there are actually 47 with one or more games who have played 25 games or more. Okay. You would think that given that New Jersey is a big market, you would hear Jesper Brett's name somewhat more than, say, Matt Zuccarella or... Brian Rust. Uh, I mean, Nazim Kadri is another guy who we don't hear enough about based on how well and, he's played this year. And the unfortunate, well, there's the difference between Kadri and Jasper Bratt, though, is that Kadri plays, unfortunately, on a team with. Where he's like the fourth best. No, Landis Gog. Uh, well, their top line is, you know, you know Landis Gog. Mackinnon and Ristolainen. So yeah, Nazem Kadri kind of blends into the woodwork a little bit there. And that's Jesper, on a team that also has Kale McCarr and Sam Girard. And Kale McCarr, Sam Girard, yeah, Devin Tays. Uh, 
top five or whatever he is in, in plus minus. Yeah, there, there's enough statistics there that he kind of gets buried, unfortunately, for Kadri. But that's Jesper still- Bratt is clearly first or second as far as top talent on the Devils. On his team, yeah. I mean, even Matthew Kachuk, who's out in Calgary, Western Conference, not a a really good team overall, but mm-hmm. we hear his name at least seven or eight times more often than we hear Jesper Bratz. Um, Kyle Connor is out in Winnipeg, which is one of the smallest hockey cities in the league, and we hear his name more often. As far as point-per-game players, though, there's my top – you just – You've almost nailed my top three for players that don't get mentioned, though. Uh, I think you'd have to throw Jason Robertson in there because he I'm gets, not sure I heard his name even in the games, even in the Devils games that I watched. I'm sorry, Stars games that I watched. Stars game, yeah. No, Jason Robertson gets mentioned. I'm thinking Jesper Bratt, Kyle Connor. And in Calgary, the actual, another actual point-for-game player who doesn't get mentioned nearly as much as he should because Goudreau and Kachuk is Elias Lindholm. Well, he gets he gets he gets mentioned more than Jasper Bratt. Don't get me wrong, Brad is clearly just forgotten about. You never hear his name mentioned, and it, to be one of 47 or even one of 56 out of a league of 950 players. Yeah, I mean, two other guys who don't get talked about all that much are Mason Marshmont in Florida and that's George Kyrou in St. Louis. Kyrou's been getting more mentions recently since the All-Star break. Well, he because looked great at the All-Star That's break. what I'm saying. So he's he's starting to pick up a little steam. The other one that doesn't get mentioned, and I don't know if it's his age or the fact that he plays in Minnesota or what, is um, Matt Zuccarello. Uh, I I said way back before they made the trade for the wrong guy from the Rangers for way too much that <laughs> Zuccarello was the guy that they wanted and not Rick Nash. Yes. Rick Nash was out of the league, what, a year later? And Zuccarello, five, six years later, is still going strong. What is he, 34 now? 32? And still going stronger because I don't recall him being a point per game player or a point and a 20 or 1.2 points per game player back in 15 or so, whenever it was they made the trade for Rick Nash. By the way, another player who isn't relying on power play because 13 of his 17 goals are even strength. So only four goals at only four goals at power play for Zuccarello. Just saying. But Jesper Bratt is clearly forgotten about, and I completely agree. Why? It's funny because his name only came up because we started talking about drafts and players prior to this prior to the game, and we discovered just how you know the fact that he was a points per game player. I I genuinely did not know this. We all, people ask us when we run into them in person if we script the show. We we don't script the show. We talk about hockey for hours. 
And sometimes things pop up five minutes before when we're just getting prepped. <laughs> sometimes things pop up on Twitter during the show and we end up adding them before we leave, which is why we run over our theoretical time. Yes. On a regular basis. Um, and occasionally we run off on tangents, not that you'd ever be able to detect when those happen. Uh, huskies, 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 huskies. Oh, wait a minute. And Huskies. Uh, yes, the men competed nope. for. Oh, not the men. OK. Nope, 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 nope. See, I fell into that trap. Alina Mueller. Ah, yes. Game tying, game winning goal for the Northeastern Huskies uh, over the ladies of UConn. Um, to bring the Huskies their fifth straight Hockey East tournament title. Nice. That's a, that's a direct ahead. link. That's a, no, I was just going to say that's an automatic bid for NCAA winning, winning Hockey East. Absolutely. Um, five years in a row now for the women? Holy cow. Five years in a row. I do believe they use the D word for and by D word I mean dynasty. Uh yeah. They throw like, it around a little too much in other sports, but I do believe five in a row qualifies. Five in a row even if it's not a national title and winning divisions given the size of divisions and how many teams there are in in division one hockey, uh yes. the word dynasty is absolutely disturb deserved. Well, and the whether it's whether it's NCAA t- title or not, how often do we talk about the talent in the East? <laughs> Every week. All right. <laughs> Four so out of five weeks. college talent in the East. It, it, this is one of the toughest areas. You want to get noticed. You come to the you come to the Northeast. You want to get noticed. You go to the M's, Michigan, Minnesota. It, so it may not be an NCAA title. But it's still prestigious, and it's still going to get you noticed. So to come here and play and win five years in a row, to have Northeastern win five years in a row, considering the level of talent here in the Northeast, yeah, I'll take it. (laughs) It's not NCAA, you're right, but I'll take it. (laughs) Um, And it's it's one of those things where – it's barely ever talked about, even here in town. Um, but you look at these rosters and you wonder how many of these women are going to be playing in the PHF in a year or two. With their talent two, level, three, hopefully four. most of them. The league keeps expanding. Their salary keeps going up. Yes, I'm sure a lot of these women have studied hard for whatever uh, for whatever careers they were planning on, but you can't tell me there's not something in them that says, I want to go play another year. I need to go play another year. That Isabella cop would look great on my mantelpiece. I want a picture of me with the Isabella cop surrounded by my team. And I want to go visit friends and families and go to girls programs with it and help grow women's hockey. You can't tell me that, that's not happening in the heads of that team. 
Just about. I saw about coming up end of the month too, so it's going to happen soon as well. And honestly, I have been. I saw the link, and I have been so tempted to book a flight down there. And the fact that they're holding it in Florida says something. Book a flight down there and just go to all the games. Like, literally go to all the games and take my camera and ha- just have fun. Because, one, it's Tampa. Two, it would get me out of the cold. And okay. most importantly, uh, reason number zero, it's going to be great hockey. Looking at some of the stats for some of these women. Okay, so Morgan Wabick, and I, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name, but Morgan Wabick, Wabick, uh, I apologize. Um, she was the one who scored first for UConn before Northeastern scored three unanswered. So she's a senior over at UConn. In 168 games with the Connecticut Huskies, she's got 109 points. That's better than good, yep. 43 goals, 66 assists. Only uh, Out of those 43 goals, 14 of them on the power play. she got eight game winners, uh, 419 shots. So she's averaging 168, 419, three and a half shots per game, maybe somewhere in there. Uh, yeah. Clearly, there's talent. I mean, it, yeah, the talent here in the Northeast, as I've said, it, it, these women, they got to do something with expanding the PHF, getting more of this talent to have some place to play after their college careers. And, of course, um, Connecticut's goaltender for the year, freshman, yes. brings them to the Hockey East finals. 5'7", um, Ms. Uh, Megan Warner. Yeah. 17 games. 12-3-1 in on those games. 944 save percentage. Goals, again, in, goals in against the average. In conference. Not, uh, nine games, 6-1-1, one one, with a 951 save percentage. Goals against 1.28, 1.2 in conference. Uh, that might be pretty good. I don't know. And she's, and she's the goaltender whose team didn't win. True. The that's bonkers. We talk about uh, we talk about the men's hockey East being a goalie factory. Uh, the Beanpot Tournament, whether it's Northeastern or um, or BU or BC, just cranking them out. Uh, this one wants to go to Megan wants to go to the PHF. She's she's probably going to get some attention. Probably. And, and, we've, ta- ta- we've, already, and, and we've already talked. We, we've actually talked uh, recently, a couple of shows ago, we talked about Aaron Frankel, the goalie for Northeastern. Yep. So we've uh, she's a senior. Uh, career numbers, 949 save percentage, 1.31 goals against. <laughs> yeah, the talent level is just off the charts. They gotta have some place. Uh, Northeastern's uh, Chloe Arard is from. Chloe Arard. Yep. I do not. Villard de Lans, France. She's a senior. In 124 games, she has 
67 goals, 81 assists, 447 points. She's better than point per game. There you go in her Northeastern career. She's not only better than a point per game, her plus minus is, 100 and t- is plus 129. <laughs> if they were, if and the sad part is, if this were men's hockey, it would get so much more attention. And, you know, the fact that one, she's from France is amazing all by itself. I don't know when she came to North America. Um, but two, being that successful, uh, she's, you know, about average height for a, for a woman athlete, you know, at five, six. Um, it's. This is women's hockey is unfortunately the best kept secret in sports right now. Yeah, well, it needs to be let out. Um, and we mentioned briefly the Isabel Cup uh, is going to be taking place in Tampa in a part of town I literally never heard of. Um, but that's okay. I haven't been to Tampa since I was about eight or nine. Um, those of you who are in the area of Wesley Chapel, uh, Tampa, uh, in the Tampa area, y'all should be getting ready to go see games on the 25th, the 27th, and the 28th, because those will be the preliminary uh, semifinals and finals. Um, games will be on ESPN Plus, TSN Direct. Um, and then the finals on March 28th, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, ESPN2, TSN2 for the PHF's championship game, Isabel, Ra- Isabel Cup. Y'all need to watch this. If you have a young player that you really, really want to introduce to the game, this might be the perfect opportunity. Doesn't matter whether they're what, whether they're going to play boys or girls hockey. This might be the perfect opportunity. And if you're in the area, tickets are very, very affordable. Excellent. So Alina, Alina Muller is, we were talking, she was the MVP. Yeah. Okay. Even though the goaltenders were stars of the show. She did get the game-tying and game-winning goals, so okay. Although she's the tournament MVP, so she must have had a really good tournament. I have not Generally, seen Generally, those full, things go hand-in-hand. Hand. I have not seen her full stats. That's why I'm saying it that way. Um, well, we're talking women's hockey and places that some of these ladies might be playing in the future. Jeff Merrick reported on the sale of the Toronto six. Um, and well, a sports team sale isn't always that glamorous. I think who is involved in this team is really interesting. Okay. Uh, Angela James, who is a, let's see. Angela James, Angela James, where did I put my notes? Uh, Angela James, Ted Nolan, 
uh, Anthony Stewart and uh, I know who I know who Teddy Nolan and and I know who Teddy Nolan and Anthony Stewart are. Uh, Bernice, uh, Bernice Carnegie. Carnegie is the other name that's mentioned here. Bernice Carnegie and Angela James. It, but yes, I know. It, as far as Teddy Nolan, we all oh, know. Oh, Angela Nolan. James is only a hockey Hall of Famer. There you go. Only. 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 Yeah. So you have Angela James, hockey Hall of Famer. You have native uh, or indigenous uh, Canadian Ted Nolan. You have. Uh, Anthony Stewart. Yeah, former NHL player. Former NHL player. And then you have uh, Bernice Bernice. Carnegie, who was also a black hockey, whose father, Herb Carnegie, was a a black hockey pioneer and co-founder of the Carnegie Initiative for Inclusive and Acceptance of Hockey. Um, There's other names. uh, America hasn't been able to confirm them yet. This is going a long way really early to make sure that the PHF doesn't run into situations like the NFL where they're being sued by high-quality coaches for inability to get positions. Um, Plus, I think anything that gives you an ownership group where the sport is their first love. And you can't doubt that for Nolan or Stewart or uh, or James, just you don't make it to the Hall of Fame in any sport without a great deal of love for it. Uh, you may or may not have other interests, but I think that people who love the sport are going to be some of the best at growing it, and you're just never going to convince me otherwise. Um, so I I think that this is a hugely positive thing, and I can't wait to see what these what this ownership group will accomplish. Um, I wonder if Teddy Nolan would put, I was going to say, I wonder if Teddy Nolan would have put himself behind the bench, but they're in first place with a 13, two and run record. They don't need a coaching change. They don't need a coaching change. Um, (laughs) Although it's certainly the prerogative of any owner uh, of any ownership group, but I think he's uh, smarter than that. I mean, he has won a Jack Adams award. And that's another thing I never understood is how he's won a Jack Adams award and can't, actually get hired as a permanent head coach in the NHL. Does he want it is the question. At one point, I would say, yes, he definitely did. I think, um, I think there was a time, but I haven't heard, I haven't seen or heard any statements from him recently indicating that he wants to get back in the game or, you know, he wishes that he could have won a Stanley Cup you know, behind the bench, or, you know, something like that, something indicating that he still wants to coach, that he's still got some kind of drive and desire. I mean, I don't think it's ever pushed out of a player. I think that there's always a drive and a desire to to win a Stanley Cup or to win an Isobel Cup or, or whatever championship you're playing for. But I haven't heard anything recently, so I don't know for certain. I, I, I don't understand how he could have won a Jack Adams award, been a coach, you know, as a coach for coach of the year and yet not get a job. It, it, it's surprising to me that he doesn't 
get more more offers, more opportunities. Never, never understood it. Not going to pretend to and refuse to even try and justify it. Okay. Um, milestones, milestones, milestones. Um, for those watching last night, I did make a prediction on Twitter. Uh, my prediction was that Claude Giroux would not be traded before the end of the day on the 17th of this month. Do you know why that is, Chris? The 17th, the trade deadline is not until the 21st. That's correct. But why would he not be traded early in order to maximize value and get the get him traded before he gets injured or get him traded before uh, the bidding gets too fierce or any of a thousand other reasons? He will not get traded before the 17th. Uh, I don't know. Because, Chris, on the 17th, assuming he plays all intervening games, he would play his 1,000th NHL game. All of them, I believe, with the Flyers. Yeah, they're not trading. Just a hunch. I didn't realize he was that close. As far as I know, yes, it's it, it is all with one organization. Um, not long, not far behind him. You have Mark Stahl, Nick Foligno, and Andrew Ladd, all within half a dozen games of hitting their 1,000th NHL game. Um, Mark Stahl is, uh, now out in Detroit, having spent most of his career with the Rangers, Nick Foligno in Boston after Columbus and Andrew Ladd is out on the, uh, soon to be vagabond dogs in Arizona. Um, Jonathan quick is heading rapidly towards a huge number. We'll get to see, uh, his 700th game really, really soon. Um, I mean, even more amazing than the fact that he's actually played 698 regular season games, picked up a couple of cups, is the fact that with those cups, with that um, con Smythe and all of the back Ill, back issues he had that he's persisted this long in the league. I mean, Connecticut is no joke. No, another another New England boy comes out of Connecticut, played at UMass Lowell. They make him a little tougher up here, I guess. They make it appears that way, yeah. He has he has had some issues and he's the the thing is this season it was believed that Cal this was the year Cal Peterson was gonna step into the number one role. Jonathan Quick was going to defer and take the back seat, but when they came out at the beginning of the season, Cal Peterson kind of stumbled out of the blocks. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great. Yep. And they put Jonathan Quick in to play a couple of games, give Cal a little bit of a break. And Quick was more resemblant of a couple of years ago as opposed to the Jonathan Quick of last year or two years ago when he was not himself. And suddenly Jonathan Quick was taking back the job that he never – that was being taken from him by coaching – but not necessarily by Cal Peterson. So now they're they're literally playing every other game is the other. They're literally splitting it down the middle. This game, Cal, next game, Jonathan, next game, Cal. 
I mean, it seems a simplish way, but he's playing that well that he can actually that they're actually utilizing him more than they were expecting to. So yeah, he's not going anywhere, and for him to get to 700 games, he he's been in a, he's got a couple of Stanley Cups himself. Uh, Five postseason games. Yeah. And this is his best season in. Uh, the last three were all not really worth talking about. Two of them below. Um, um, in fact, he hit a low watermark in the 1819 season of 888. Yeah. Uh, was, that's why. He still got a more than 10-point 10, 10 bounce from last season, which at not very young anymore with lots and lots of minutes on the clock is surprising. I mean, it's a great story. Um, he's 36 years old. Um, he'll be, he just turned 36 back in January. Yeah. Um, he's got one more year on the contract uh, at five and change. Um, going to be interesting to see what happens, uh, with him. Are, are the numbers good enough to get him into? I don't think so. I don't know if, okay. I mean, he's got a is career he save percentage. Is he going into the rafters in in Los Angeles? I think Probably. in L. I think in L. A. He's definitely going to the rafters. Two Stanley Cups, Conn Smythe. Uh, he's got two. He's got uh, no Vez. That's the thing. He's got no Vesnas. That's there's a reason for that. His numbers have always been really good, uh, or frequently been really good. He's never been. Statistically, the best goaltender in the league. Right, because in 2011-12, when they won the Stanley Cup and he finished the year with uh, a 929 save percentage and a 1.95 goals against and led the league with 10 shutouts, that somehow he came in second in the Vesna. Yep. I mean, career-wise, 698 games. Oops. <sighs> Career-wise, 698 games. He's got a 9.13 save percentage. Yeah, he's got the Smythe, He's got two Jennings trophies. I mean, are two Jennings trophies uh, equal to one Vesna? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure that there's any math that converts. Jennings on. Jennings has to do with team goaltending, as far as I'm, Jennings is team goaltending because it's yes. Uh, but that I mean, for thirteen fourteen, um, he played forty nine of the games. That's that's another Stanley Cup year for them. And had a nine fifteen, so not a super spectacular save percentage. Not te- certainly not bad, above league average. And then in seventeen eighteen, he played sixty four games and had a nine twenty one, which no one in their right mind is going to complain about. Um, it wasn't good enough. It was only good enough for like ninth in the Vesna voting. Mm-hmm. So Hall of Fame, I don't see it. I, 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 my opinion, I don't necessarily think that he's first ballot. He's not, you know, he's not going to retire, and people are going to start clamoring. But I think at some point he could get, he could be. I guess you'd have to add. I don't remember his his college hockey career all that closely. Did he win championships at that level? UMass Lowell? Probably not. 
Yeah. If he had won a couple of championships outside the NHL too, maybe. I mean, a consumize never looks bad on your on your um on your resume. Um he was a silver medalist in 2010, although I don't think he played that many games for the U.S. No, wait a minute. He was he the starter or Miller was the starter? Probably uh, Miller. Probably because that was Vancouver. I mean, three-time All-Star, two-time um, Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe, second-team All-Star, two-time William Jennings. Uh, college, uh, all hockey East second team, AHCA second team, all American international silver medalist, best NHL player for an SB award in 2012. Um, currently has the highest save percentage in a single playoff season, 946 in 2011, 12. Wow. Um, yeah, he was ridiculous in, in, in 2011, 12, I think that's the year that they. It's going to be tough. I think it's going to depend on when he retires. Like if he retires after this contract. So after next year and he gets eligibility before the great wave or that final class, that final uh, clutch of 2003 to 2006 players start retiring. So before Bergeron and Getzlaff and Perry and Ovechkin and Malkin and Crosby and Latang and well Zdeno Chara is still playing too and he's ten years older. Um, I mean, here's a guy. It's going to depend on who. It's going to depend on who he has to go up against because is he, I mean is he he's not going to beat Bergeron or Crosby or Malkin. No, I understand uh, that. In, but. Is he, could he beat Chara in? Maybe. But he's also but we're also talking about a guy and this is not this is not uh, something that normally happens. But here's a guy who in has better numbers in the playoffs under the bright light than he does in the regular season. He's got a 922 career save percentage in the playoffs. 2.23 career goals against in the playoffs. Both numbers clearly better than his regular season numbers. And those are, those are great numbers. And it's, it, it just enhances the argument. And it's over 85 games. We're not talking that's, about a handful. That's a, full season. that's a full season. All of it played at the end of a full season. Quality starts your favorite quality start percentage, your favorite stat for a goalie yep. in the playoffs, six twenty four. That's pretty solid. Yeah. I think that there's an argument to be made here. I'm not saying he's first ballot, but there's an argument to be made here. I I will stand by my non-prediction of it depends on who it depends on who comes. I like the way you put that. <laughs> it depends on who's eligible at the same time. I, and I agree. I think that yes, depending on when. His name crops or when he retires. Yeah, unfortunately, Bergeron, Malkin, uh, that other kid. Um, Ovechkin, Kane. Ovechkin. Uh, that's yeah, I, Patrick Kane. 
Um, yes. No, no. I, I knew who you were talking about. I'm just saying, yeah, if he if he retires in that same bunch, he's not going to get nominated over most of those names, unfortunately. But, but I think I mean, that he needs to be I think he needs to be given a lot of due consideration. Now, there's another tier of guys who we can talk about, like Nicholas Backstrom and T.J. Oshie, and who you can also make arguments for, particularly given Oshie's Olympic uh, showing in 2010. I mean, that almost by itself was. But is that is. OK, yes. In one Olympics, he had to do the shootout over and over and over again because that's how the rules work. And you can do that. And he was flipping brilliant in it. But does that suddenly get him more recognition for Hall of Fame over what? It's Quick a consideration. Done? I mean, in the technically, Quickie is a is a silver medalist, but he didn't really play in those Olympics. Oh, um, he was a member of the team, but Miller and Thomas played. I don't believe that he did. Yeah, he was the team's third goaltender. Career playoffs, TJ Oshie, 11 years. 96 games, 61 points. Minus 12, 75 penalty minutes. Um, shooting percentage of 14. He averages... Just under 20 minutes a night in the in the playoffs, uh, 1944. Uh, face-off win percentage of 44.9, but he's not really a center. He's a winger. Um, his playoff numbers are okay. I mean, he's two-thirds of a point per game. He's definitely better than other players we've looked at in the past. Um <laughs> I don't know, it, 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 but his regular season number, in, but, but Oshie's regular season numbers are 879 games played, 625 points. So he's about in line with with what he does in the playoffs. He doesn't have a drop off in the playoffs. Right. There, I heard. I was listening to the Washington game the other day. Washington. Uh, watching them, and there were people talking about about Oshie for the Hall of Fame. I think now, he, I think he's in, I think he's in the same category as Jonathan Quick. I think he can deserve I think he deserves consideration, but it really all depends on when he retires. He's not far. He's only a season or he's only a season and a quarter away from his thousandth NHL game. Yeah, and I I have seen no signs of him slowing down to the point where I think he wouldn't make it to his thousand or more. I don't know. He's 35. He's and he's another one. He's 35 years old. Uh, but are we really seeing that cliff in players who are playing top six minutes anymore? We'll see it in middle six in like bottom six guys and like middle and like third, fourth, fifth, sixth defensemen where they hit that cliff. At between like 34 and 36, mm-hmm. but it seems to be a much slower taper. I mean, look at look at Bergeron and Marchand. Marchand is defying the age curve. Bergeron for his fifth selkie this season. So 
Ovechkin Ovechkin was supposed to be washed up and practically crippled at this point. He's in the same age bracket. Yeah. Certainly plays a more physical game than most players. Um, he doesn't always throw the biggest hits, but I'd be surprised if he went three shifts in a game without making contact with someone. And he's at 12, he's at 1,252 regular season games already with 141 playoff games. Uh, <laughs> redonkulous. Yeah. I mean, we don't even have to ask if he's going to be going into the Hall of Fame. Like, it's no law. It's never, it hasn't been a question since, since 2008. For who? Since the, for Ovechkin. For Ovechkin. For it, hasn't, Ovechkin. it hasn't been a question since 2000, since the 2017 season when they won well, no. the Stan- I think that cemented it for him was winning that Stanley Cup. I, okay. 2005, Calder Trophy. 2007 8, Art Ross Trophy, Hart Memorial Trophy. Rocket Richard Trophy, Lester B. Pearson Trophy, 2008-09 Hart Memorial Trophy, Rocket Richard Trophy, Ted Lindsay Award. Uh, you don't have to sell me on it. I believe you. I'm just saying that the, it's hard to argue that he's had to solidify. 2017-18 season, he wins Con Smythe. That one trophy, if not everything else, that one trophy solidifies it for him. Because now he's an MVP, play, he's a playoff MVP. Now he's I mean, got a Stanley Cup. Those two saying, final final nail in the coffin, right there. If you're saying that a Con Smythe automatically puts you in the in the uh, in the Hall of Fame, then yes, Quick is a Hall of Famer. I'm not. As I'm not saying Thomas. that. I'm saying I'm saying for Ovechkin, it's the final nail. All okay. these other nails in the coffin closed it. I think that the con smite seals it. That's that's fair. Um, but here's a couple of other guys. I mean, Tim Thomas is not in the Hall of Fame. He's got he's got a Best playoff numbers smite. ever. He was bonkers. <laughs> Justin Williams, who probably hasn't officially retired yet. Um, he's got he's got one of those con smite trophies. I'm not saying it guarantees you. I'm saying it certainly helps. If you're a playoff MVP, you got to. Ryan O'Reilly has one. Victor Hedman and Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, I think Vasilevsky is one of those guys who you just have to say he's going in. He's played 344 NHL games, 920 save percentage in that time. And he's one of Vesna, Conn Smythe, and two Stanley Cups. Yeah, see, he's probably, unless he has a ridiculous he, downturn and his, his career takes a nosedive from here forward, yeah, he's probably going in the Hall of Fame. A um, couple more milestones. Holtby and Craig Anderson – are one win away from their 300th each. Go, Craig. <laughs> Go, uh, like, 300 wins. I like Holtby, too, but Holtby's Braden, always been a Bruins killer. So, Braden Holtby was the best Bruins killer in the league for five straight years. Yes, we could not. He literally watched. had to show up for it to be a scheduled loss. 
You think he had that real estate in the Bruins' heads? After mm. after the second season of it, I'm sure he did. I'm 100% sure he did. But I will certainly root for anything. Any any milestone that Craig Anderson is heading towards, I will certainly root for that. And there's a guy who is not going into the Hall of Fame, but is going to be one of those guys that people are going to talk about for Unfortunately, like 10 years after his career. They need to find a way to make an exception and get him in. I mean, it's not fair what the NHL has done to him, but <laughs> and by I, it's I, not I blame fair. His I mean, as much as anything else, putting him on horrible teams. <laughs> I blame his agent as much as anything else. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's probably the agent's fault. Selling uh, him on, selling him on Buffalo, <sighs> selling him on Ottawa, Ottawa, back in the day when they weren't good. Even the Avalanche, when they had less defense than they did two years before Kale McCarr. Yes. Well, back then it was all offensive defensemen. There was no defense in Colorado. You know how there's no D in the L, D in the Q. There's no D in the, there was no D in Colorado. Uh, Yeah, kind of like Toronto, except they still don't have D or Edmonton. Nope. Um, Marcel, Nick Bueno, Thousand, Holtby, Patrice Bergeron closing in on, I'm sorry, 1,200. It feels like we just celebrated a thousand games. I was going to say, didn't we just do, didn't they just have Bergeron at a thousand on like Nesson or something? I actually have that DVR'd still. And I watched it about a week ago because there was nothing on TV and it wasn't, I wasn't in the mood to read. Um, actually, it was during the it was during the extended holiday break uh, because mm-hmm. there really weren't any NHL games on, yeah. and I needed some hockey. So all things going well, uh, Winnipeg game on the 18th. Patrice Bergeron will play number 1200. Wow, this is a guy who we thought his career was over at least three times. That first big concussion. Yeah. We thought his life might be over that time. His second big concussion. And then hearing that he spent more than a week in the hospital after the Chicago Stanley Cup final with, you know, a dislocated shoulder, a punctured lung, a collapsed lung, broken ribs. um, And we never heard the entire laundry list of injuries. But Did did he ever complain once? I mean, no. hockey players. Hockey players, as a rule, are pretty much uh, crazed animals. They, they, they you oh, even you hockey cut their players. Lips. I mean, I've seen guys with like lips cut and faces, and and they go out back and stitched up, and twenty minutes later they're back on the ice. We've seen guys reset broken and dislocated fingers sitting on the bench like they were clipping their their fingernails i mean the 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 obvious one that comes to mind is of course gregory campbell playing with a broken leg on the penalty kill well there was chuck kobasu who literally finished a game with a broken leg and then poor chucky yeah (laughs) like that man the least lucky hockey player in history even other hockey players think Patrice Bergeron is crazy. <laughs> I yeah, mean, they probably. adore him, but they think he's a little bit crazy for some of the injuries he's played through. Uh, and 1,200 
regular season games. And then we got Simmons and Giordano going for 1,000. Simmons. Wow, Austin, Wayne Simmons is heading for 1,000. Yeah. Damn. I like Wayne Simmons. Unfortunately, he went to Toronto and he's languishing in obscurity. 160 playoff games for Patrice Bergeron. 160, like two seasons worth. That's, yeah, that's almost two seasons of hockey. We know he has that World Junior Championship. We know he has the four Selkies. He has a King Clancy. He has a Messier Leadership Award. Um, if they don't give him Selkie number five this year, I gotta start the, flipping tables. Well, the rumor is that he should be getting it this year. Apparently, he's. But there are still people who want to leave him off their ballot because oh, he's already had, he's already won the award. It's not about if you've already won the award. It's about are you the best at the thing? And that's it. Are you the best at the thing? Yes. And in this case, the thing is being the best defensive forward. Now, can you make an argument that he could play more penalty kill minutes or needs a shorthanded goal or two to uh, to spread it out uh, or to light up a couple more categories? Of course. But his faceoff percentage, particularly in the defensive zone, ding, 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 <laughs> um, redonkulous. Mm-hmm. Because if there is a single player in the league whose faceoffs are more studied than Patrice Bergeron's, I want to know who they are. No disrespect to Ryan O'Reilly or Anze Kopitar or uh, Joel Erickson Eck uh, or any of the other quality two-way forwards in the league. This is the dude. The dude. The dude. There is no other choice. it's, It's not even close. Um, he is the top of the heap in much the same way that John Paul's is the top of the heap. Uh, John Paul's, um, us Paralympic sledge hockey player. And there's a sport that has more names than anything because it's called sled hockey, sledge hockey. Um, and I think I've heard at least two other names for it, but John Paul's has been playing uh, sledge hockey for quite some time. And last night, uh, U.S. Olympic hockey tweeted that he has now played more games than any other than any other player in sledge hockey history. Um, So congratulations to him. If your team or company is in need of a. uh, Inspirational speaker, he actually does that. He's a his day job is in finance. Um, I would be fascinated to have him show up at a company uh, event, uh, particularly with things reopening once he gets home. But 1,200 games, he's uh, – no, I'm sorry, not 1,200 games. Um, I'm still stuck on Bergeron, which is not news <laughs> not to anyone so, who knows me. I'm going to say not, not, not necessarily surprising, actually. Um, but he's USA – USA's captain. You can find him uh, on Twitter at SpudsUSA27. They are the number one one favorite in the Paralympic Games. And uh, they they opened the they opened the uh, the Paralympics with a win over Canada. Five nil or five nothing or five zero or however you want to say it. Canada didn't score. 
Um, have, I don't any, know if you've ever seen USA hockey win over Canada is a big win and needs to yeah. be celebrated. So congrats to uh, congrats to Spuds and uh, keep winning. Um, games are games are being shown on the Olympic Network and Peacock. Uh, for those of you who need a additional hockey fix, have you watched any sled hockey? Sled hockey? I mean, I I call it. Sled I did ho- not. See I, I call this. it sled hockey, but it's sled hockey is more the American term, but. Um, I have not seen any this year, but I have watched probably twenty or thirty. It's games actually, it, it's actually entertaining. I, 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 I it's my so first terrifying. But it, it's ter- it's terrifying to me that you would be that close to the ice, and you're move. The, these guys are moving at high speed, and they are like, moving at NHL speed, and on into each other, underneath, and With they got sticks. two sticks. Not just two sticks, two spiked sticks, plus their plus their sled, which has blades as sharp as any skater. Um, it, it's it's somewhat terrifying. Uh, and, and the talent that and the talent that it takes, they balance. You got two. You're trying to, I mean, roofing the puck is. And I've seen some of these guys roof pucks, but to, and it's. it's it's fast paced. It's it, it's actually quite exciting. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it, and I I try to catch it whenever it's it's posted on TV. So, I I don't think that there is a better medium for conveying how much a positive attitude can help you overcome obstacles than watching sled hockey. Like attitude is everything in that. Oh, absolutely. These and these guys are fearless, and they come from all walks of lives. There are people who make these teams who have never played hockey before they landed uh, on a sled, and guys and girls who have played hockey their entire lives and suddenly end up on a sled. Um, and. It's very, very obvious that even that as much as any other sports team, the bonds are real. Like the friendships these people forge playing together, just it's completely genuine. Like, you know, that there are people in the NHL or the NBA or the other two sports, whatever they are, um, who play on the same team. And. Yes, they're on your team, so you're probably going to side with them if something nasty happens. But they're probably not coming over to your house to play Xbox, or probably when the season's over and one of you or both of you are on different teams, you're probably not saying hi every couple of days just because. I have the sneaking suspicion that most people who play on these sled hockey teams keep in touch with each other, even if they haven't been in the same building in 15 years. Paralympics are being held in the same place as the regular Olympics. Are they in Beijing or? Yes, they're in Beijing. Right. So unfortunately, and I can't tell whether they meant, yeah, 12. So actually their second game was very early this morning against South Korea. 
12.05 a.m., and it was on USA Network. So they're getting TV time as well. Um, yes, I, I may actually watch that game later on Peacock. Uh, we've got the milestones nailed down. Um, well, there's there's one milestone because I don't quite understand the, 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 the way you posted it. And I was trying to figure out who it was. Who is the oh. fifth leading scorer in Flames history? That's oh yes, that one is uh, is pretty fascinating. Um, we all know we almost anyone who can guess who knows anything about the Flames is going to put Jerome Ginla and Theo Fleury as one and two in scoring history. Mm-hmm. Al McGinnis. Um, is Al McGinnis, yeah, I know Al McGinnis, yeah. Joe Newendike is. I know Joey Newendike. Four. Um, but number five is not only likely to change really soon. It's a guy I don't think of very often when I think of hockey, and that's Gary Suter. With five oh, no, Gary Suter, yeah. points. So he's number five. Ooh, okay. Um, but the real question is when we ask this question again next, if we ask this question again next week. Has it changed? Why? Because number six, Johnny Goudreau, is two points behind Gary Suter. And with the games over the course of this week, it's a pretty safe bet that he's going to tie or catch Gary Suter. Well, Johnny Goudreau is another one of those guys that I didn't realize he's been in the league as long as he has. Yep. You hear about him nonstop for about a week every season. Oh, yeah, that's during the trade deadline. And, and then you never hear about him otherwise. Like, nonstop for a week. I think he's on the permanent, like, scratch pad list of players to talk about when even the ma- major media outlets have gotten tired of talking about whatever five players they've decided to market that year. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing to me that he's, I mean, 562 NHL points for a guy that many questioned even playing in the league because yeah, he's not not a large guy. I mean, Patrice Bergeron, I've lamented his being the largest player in the top six for most of his career uh, from the Boston Bruins at six one and one ninety seven um, is practically enormous compared to Johnny uh, Goudreau's 5'9 and 165. Um, I mean, Marchand probably has 15 pounds on Goudreau, um, even though they're officially about the same height. Um, And yet Goudreau, 574 games, eight goals short of his 200th, eight points below a point being a point per game player. And as you mentioned, we never hear his name. Johnny. Yeah. Um, we don't hear his name enough. Given how much, how prolific he has been. Yeah, I would agree. I think the fact that his name comes up more often in, at the trade deadline than it does for his ability and talent. And he does get mentioned. I mean, he, 
he's not just he's not Jesper Bratt by any stretch of the imagination. He gets mentioned more frequently than that. But it seems that every year, yes, it's who he's going to get traded for, or Calgary should get rid of him, or his contract is, or what. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I I I'm not surprised. I, I guess I'm a little surprised, but yeah, looking back, he's he's another one that's been around a lot longer than I thought, and so I guess he's been around long enough to be fifth all time in Calgary. Now he is a UFA this off season. Oh, here we go. <laughs> he's at six. He's just he's a six and three quarter million this year. Mm-hmm. No. You know where he's from? New Jersey. You know that much. More I, that much. I, that much I do know. He is from New Jersey, and oh, by the way, I'm sure Jasper Bratt could use a little help down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Pavel Zaka is is a nice young man. Um, Nico Heischer. Wait, you didn't even know who Pavel Zaka was in the pregame show. <laughs> pregame show is not recorded, so it doesn't really happen. Um, oh, okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Do you think do you think he might want to go home to New Jersey and play there? There was a rumor a couple, three years ago. No, actually, there was that they they were going to trade for him or sign him or or something like that. He was going to end up going back home. He might actually enjoy playing in front of his family. And that would I mean, they might end up having to move somebody, somebody, somebody to make room, although P.K. Subban's a UFA at the end of the season and at nine million. So his nine million's coming off the books. You can get Goudreau for less than that. Seven and a half, eight. I can see it happen. Um, Because as much as we like P.K. Subban, I would not be surprised if he decided to hang them up at the end of the year. If he goes for another year or two contract at. He's 32 already. That's uh, it. Well, he'll turn 33 in May, but um, he's probably going to go chasing a cup at this point and sign one year, one and two year deals mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, two or three million. I mean, if they if he's willing to sign for two million, yeah, they might they might bring him back next year. But I I would not be surprised to see him go chasing a cop. So we got. Yeah, no, I I can see I can see it as a possibility. I don't know if it'll happen, but it's it's an interesting possibility that's worth consideration, especially if you're in New Jersey. I mean, if you could use some goal scoring, um, you could use some defense as well, as much as having Dougie there. Um, if you're trying to improve your defense, I don't know that Dougie's the answer. Top top vote getter for that. I mean, it's nice to have strong offensive defensemen, but you need to have other strong defensive or two-way defensemen so that you can make up for the lack of defense from the offensive defensemen. Another team that he might be a really good fit on uh, to give them a little more balance in terms of age and experience. Mm -hmm. Anaheim. 
younger than Getzlap and Henrique, but a little older bit older than, than Terry, older than Zegris, Terry, Steel. yeah, Steele. Interesting. That's an interesting thought. I mean, it's not like I don't know that offense is going to be their biggest need. I mean, Zegris and and the young guys that we mentioned can certainly put the puck in the net. But as far as possible leadership, I don't know where Gaudreau falls in the leadership category. I, I, it's see, I don't think you need so much vocal leaders on that team as long as Getzlaff and leading by example. But as far as leading by example, he's a tiny guy who has persisted in the NHL Mm -hmm. for hundreds of games at a high level. Yeah, there's. I mean, literally, he's a skating example of what's your excuse? <laughs> I mean, he's and he's been hit by big guys, not very often. But it's it's again, what's your excuse? Um, yeah, that's a very good question, actually, for him to be asking. And he doesn't even have to ask it. Coaches can ask it. Other players can ask it by pointing at him and pointing at somebody who's underperforming. What's your excuse? <laughs> what is this Schmaltz? Oh, Schmaltz had a ridiculous game for the Vagabond Dogs. Uh, seven no, no. points. Be nice, Arizona. They're not going to have a home soon. Yes, Vagabonds. <laughs> Seven-point game? Point game against the Senators. And this is a game that featured blowing a four-goal four lead. How do you blow a four-goal lead? Hey, a four-goal lead is the, uh, is the most vulnerable lead in hockey or something like that. I could have swore it was three, but okay. <laughs> Originally, it was two. <laughs> yes. So they blew a four four goal lead. Was it threatening their ability to? Was it a, was it threatening their race for thirty two uh, outcome? Well, they ended up winning the game. I mean, eight oh, to five. So, wow. Over the Senators, who have a reasonable this looks, team. This looks like it would have been an entertaining game to watch if you like offense, based on what I'm reading. Clayton Keller had two goals and two assists. Gostas Bear, goal and three assists. Uh, Matias uh, Maselli scored his first NHL goal. Scott Wedgwood had 41 saves. <laughs> and Nick Schmaltz was the first player to score seven or more points in an NHL game since Sam Gagner, uh, Gagne, depending Sam on Gagne, yeah. Ten, uh, years, was that, ten years ago? Yeah. Uh, February 12th of 2000, uh, February 2nd of 2012. Um, it is ten, I was kidding. Ten, it is 10 years ago. Holy cow. What's even more interesting is he's the first player to score seven points without a hat trick since Eric Lindros in February of 97. Ah, big Eric. Um, there's, a, there's a career that was ended too soon. Oh, wow. Like Eric Gagne. Sam, uh, Gagne and Savard are the poster children for eliminating headshots in in the NHL. 
and at least in Lindros's case, for actually taking time to recover from the damn things when possible. Schmaltz has scored 17 points in his past nine games. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, that sounds great until you look at how many points he doesn't have on the season. Um, it's great to have a nice run. But that's but, not just a nice run, though. That's. But he still only has 33 points this season. He's and had 17 of them. Thing. 17 of them came in the past nine games. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he went from under half a point per game to almost a point per game in a week. Well, in in half to, in a half, in under 10 games, because he's now at 33 points in 36 games. Is that a great number? Yes. And it completely it's worrisome baffles that he's, It's worrisome that we're this late into the season and he's only played 36 games. But was last year not, he had... Was there injury involved or was he not playing at the top level and then suddenly got brought up for some reason? I believe he was injured at one point. I would okay. have to go back and look. Um, but I mean, last year he only had 32 game, 32 points in 52 games, 45 and 70 the season before. Um, he split the season before that, the 18-19 season between Chicago and Arizona, only played 50 games total. Um, career-wise, he's at 215 points in 30, 337 games. Um, so yeah, this represents a great leap forward in terms of. Numbers. In terms of productivity, <laughs> but that's a this is which, the, which would lead everybody, which would lead everybody and anybody who has anything to do with coaching or guiding these players to say, uh, if you can do that in 17 games, why can't you do that for a whole season? Well, that and is this another Jordan Bennington event where he gets hot one time? Uh huh, and then retreats to what everyone thought he was, because Jordan Bennington had that great run to a Stanley Cup playoff, a Stanley Cup win, and is otherwise not a particularly good. Wow. Um, also going on in the last week or so, yeah. the Chicago Blackhawks have finally named a permanent general manager. I love the title of that article. Um, Blackhawks Kyle Davidson, Kyle Davidson, permanent general manager. Now we talked about the outburst by the by Wirtz a couple of weeks back, mm-hmm. um, berating the press and going off even before they could complete questions and uh, talking about how they're moving forward and yada, yada, yada. We're not talking about the past. Right. Looking at the final candidates for this position, uh, as detailed in the article um, from Chris Bengal of CBS sports, Mm -hmm. we have three guys who were, um, you had Kyle Davidson, who was already working for the team, Matthew Darsh, uh, of the, who's the director of hockey operations for, 
from um, the Lightning. And then Chicago Cubs assistant general manager Jeff Greenberg were the other two finalists. Now, those came in via apparently Kristen Shilton of ESPN. But Matthew Darsh, okay, outsider, director of operations for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't mm-hmm. get interviewing someone who's coach, someone who's working in another sport. I, <laughs> I just don't. Because he's an assistant GM, so he understands. I, I would, I would guess it's because he understands player movement and possibility of operating. I was going to say possibility of operating with a cap, but actually, baseball doesn't have a cap. You just get hit with a luxury tax if you go over two hundred million. Um, I would assume that it's just because he has familiarity with the position, but not necessarily in the sport. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of. Um. So you bring in – so you decide to give it to the guy who's been doing the job anyway. You give it to the guy who's been I'm doing shocked. the job anyway. Now, here's here's my question. Here's my shock face. Is this more of the same from the Blackhawks and they're going with him because he's a safe choice of ownership and they want someone who's got an interest in keeping all of these skeletons in the closet – or versus going with someone from the outside who has a vested interest in putting their stamp on things. Or is this a case where Johnny Wurst has a vision and he already trusts Kyle Davidson to help move in the direction of that vision? I have an idea. I don't know that either one of us knows 150% for sure. But what oh, I definitely don't that? know. I definitely don't know for sure. I I think that I think that ultimately they decided to go with the guy who's been doing the job right now. He's been with the organization since 2010 and he's worked his way through like every department. He was he worked in player contract negotiations, the NHL draft, salary arbitration, scouting at the amateur and professional levels. Uh, he headed up the Department of Salary Cap Management. Then he became I, assistant GM. Now, I think that in – I think my head is telling me that this is why they decided to give him the job, his familiarity with what's going on. He's worked his way through all the different departments that – are going to influence him as GM. So I would like to think that that's why they're holding on to him and not because they're trying to keep secrets in, in house, because if that's what they're doing, then Chicago has learned nothing from everything that's happened in the past year or two. And losing Stan Bowman and losing all the other knuckleheads and all the dominoes that fell. If they're if they're, if it's really just keeping skeletons in house, still part of the leadership group in whatever capacity. When um, when the beach stuff happened, Kyle Beach and that all of the lawsuit, all of the stuff stemming from the lawsuits from the that Johnny Wirtz doesn't want to talk about. 
but he was an intern. He started as an intern back in 2010. So I can't imagine that he was as influential. He didn't have that much influence, but I don't think he was as influential in what was going on as Stan Bowman and Mark Bergevin and one should hope not. Yeah. And even the head coach there, uh, Quenville. Yeah, no, I don't think that he was in his, he was in an influential position. I think that, I don't know. I, I suspect he still knows where some bodies are buried, but yeah, uh, unfortunately I would have to agree with that statement as well. But I honestly believe that they're, I would like to believe that they're making decisions based on business needs and that he makes the most sense having been around the organization and being around hockey. And, and uh, we're running a little bit long uh, at the moment. We'll, we'll wrap in about five minutes. Um, I will point out that the hockey East uh, schedule uh, for the men's tournament has been released. You can hit it. You can find it at hockey East online, uh, dot com. Uh, you can probably find it on your team's pages. You found uh, a Bleacher Report story with a list of players from each team um, who probably should be shopped. <laughs> top three players on the list only. My top three players on the list? Surprise. Good I mean, or bad, whether you think it's ridiculous, underrated, or really interesting. <laughs> I mean, I know who one of the players is going to be. We, uh, that no, because that's not fair. That's just that 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 I don't know if that's the obvious choice. I I think that it it just surprised me that the obvious choices the the one real standout surprise for me is for St. Louis that they should they should shop Villa Huso. This is the guy who is currently saving their bacon because their Stanley cup winning goaltender from a few years ago, John or Jordan Bennington has suddenly gone back in the dumper and isn't he, he's barely at what? Nine, 900 save percentage. Irrelevant. Yeah. He's been relevant. <sighs> That's I, I you, you're, you're trading, but yet you're, they're suggesting that he should be the one to be shopped around. I understand that. Yes, he's going to give you a bigger return, but then you're leaving yourself again with that gaping hole in net, unless you've got some secret weapon that we haven't seen or heard about somewhere in the minors. And I'm pretty sure we would have heard about another goaltender that was that amazing. Yeah. That you could afford to deal him. Um, I think that's my biggest surprise on the list. I think one of the most underrated choices, and I think one that's probably got the best hope for a good return, is selecting uh, Georgiev of the Rangers, because I think he he's a solution, immediate solution for a couple of the teams also on the list. He's he is uh, he is without a doubt he, he he's unfortunately suffering from the fact that he's playing behind Igor Shosturkin. 
I'm not saying that he's going to be a Vesna winner. And I said this pre-show, I'll say it again. He's not, I don't think, I don't know that he's going to be a Vesna winner, but the guy has talent. And when they needed him to hold the fort, because Shesterkin was declared number one by Dan Quinn and then suddenly got injured, he took over the number one gig, held on to it. He's a really good goaltender. And I think that, yes, he could help an Edmonton or somebody else who, uh, New Jersey, um, so needs goaltending just for the giggles, just for the giggles, assume it's Edmonton and they can't afford to, well, they don't want to trade out forwards because from their roster, because why would they do that when they, well, that's all they play for the most part. Um, how about a Georgiev for Tyler Tulio and either Stuart Skinner or Tyler Wall and a second? Is that a viable you're gonna, trade? You're going to trade. You're going to trade two goaltenders. I said either or. I'm going to say that so doesn't Wall or Skinner. Well, Skinner would be in Edmonton coming back. Isn't Wall already with New York? Oh, did I get that? I thought he was in. I think You're Tyler right. Wall, Sorry. Tyler Wall's in the Rangers organization. Sorry. Um, so Stuart Skinner, Tyler Tulio, and a second for Georgiev. Overpayment, right payment? For Georgiev? You, you're trading the one. I, I don't know that they trade Skinner. I mean. The Oilers, if they're going to get, they're going to have to move something in order to get a goaltender. Well, Back. yes. First of all, Mike Smith is probably going to. Well, well if, he's if saying he, he's going to retire for ten years, but go ahead. Yeah, I know. I keep saying I've said it myself many times. I keep thinking he's going to go, and he hasn't gone. He and Craig, he and Craig Anderson just won't let go. Craig Anderson still, although Mike Smith still shows flashes every now and again. Although I think he's hurt at the moment. Keep um, going. I don't know. Yeah, I. Yeah, I Get a third team involved. I don't know if sending unless they send back Mike Smith to be the backup to Shesterkin. I don't. I don't know that you trade Skinner back in the deal because I think Skinner is going to fall into the same trap as Georgiev. I think that Skinner is another goaltender that maybe not necessarily this season, but next season could be a goaltender that helps somewhere. He's he's had the number one job up in Edmonton when Koskinen was. Copping up hairballs or hurt or both, and I don't I don't know that it's necessarily fair to do that to Skinner. I I, I think it makes the deal work, but ugh, I don't like it. Um, my second and possibly the most shocking name to me on the list. Yeah. Sam Girard. We mentioned him a few minutes ago. Yes. Um, I like Sam Girard. Colorado has some cap, some pending cap issues, and it's been suggested by Mike Chambers of the Denver Post that if uh, Bowen Byram is healthy, they might need to move out the $5 million in cap space of Sam Girard. First of all, they need to not pin their hopes on Bowen Byram. They need to let him heal and be right. 
That's uh, I don't I don't disagree. But if they're going to make any moves at the at the deadline, they're either going to have to overpay or take a risk. And I guess either are either one is a risk. But there are certain teams here in the East who could definitely deal with uh, Gerard's offense. Yes. Um, not disagreeing with that. I like Sam Gerard. I. He is not a large man, but no. Uh, he's he's produced. He can actually. Than... He may not be Kale McCarr, but he can quarterback your power play. In fact, I think he quarterbacks the second unit. And for that matter, he's. I mean, just adding his ability to skate and move the puck to and, five yes. on five play. I think. If you're playing him with your second and third line or your second, your fourth line, depending on how you're rolling things, you're adding offensive punch to all of them. And it's shifting. It's going to shift your five on five play. Left shot, blue liner. Yeah. And I would. Yeah, he is a little surprised. I think my second surprising name. Although I have actually heard it come out in the last few days as well, is that Nashville is actively shopping Philip Forsberg. That one's I, I find it surprising. I also don't find it surprising. He's not super young anymore. No. And at some point they're going to have to refresh their core which does mean moving someone out now. And while Nashville's not a terrible team this year, I don't know that they imagine that they sh- they're they a top five cup contender. Forsberg has no such protection, no such trade protection in his contract. Yeah. Um, no Thomas trade Hurdle. protection is somewhat, uh, somewhat important. Yeah. So in late February, Andy Strickland reported that the Predators were, Predators were actively shopping the pending UFA. Unfortunately, yeah, and that that whole pending UFA thing is mm, so he's going to be a loner, and depending on where he gets traded, probably not going to resign there because he's going to want to go. It's going to have to be. I think teams are going to be wanting a sign and trade on him. Yes. I believe that to be the case as well. And it's not like he's a bad player. I mean, he's got 46 points in 42 games. He's third on the team in scoring. Um, he's 27 years old, so he's not he's not approaching the cliff, or he's not at the cliff. Um, 27. 6'1", 205-pound left wing. Uh, there are certainly worse players uh, in the league. I don't. I'm not sure. I know of a landing spot for him. Oh God! Just don't say Pittsburgh or Edmonton. Uh, wait. How about Toronto? Or Toronto? Because you know that Ky- you know that Dubas is sitting there going. <gasps> Another winger. Oh. I mean, if you're looking to come up for the run, I wouldn't necessarily 
I don't necessarily see it as a bad fit for a playoff run to send Boston him to Carolina. Can't, Boston can't fit him anywhere. Carolina. No, the only way he fits in Boston is if they can play him on the right wing and he's flipped for DeBrusque. Which, by the way, is another name on this list. <laughs> the Bruins should actively shop Jake DeBrusque. Surprise! <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Anyway, so those are my two biggest names. It's Billy Huso just because why would you not hang on to him? And Philip Wozberg because he is Nashville at this point. Uh, after uh, goaltender. Yeah. Actually, Damn, Carolina makes more and more sense the more you look at it. Um, their third leading goal scorer is Tivu Teravainen. They're left, a left wing. Yeah. Fourth leading scorer is actually Tony D'Angelo, a defenseman. Oh, and hey, Carolina can send Yesberry Kakanyemi in in return. <laughs> Not gonna Done. happen. Not gonna happen. Done at all, ever. Not gonna happen. Uh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we leave you. Uh, get out there, watch some hockey. Uh, if it's nice out where you are, go get some sunlight. Um, rumor has it it's good for you. Uh, really? We will be back next week. Uh, I will toss up a couple of um, polls during the week. Have a great week and look forward to next week and all of the hockey uh, in between. Take care.